everybody. Welcome to We've Got Ward, a Daily Planet Productions podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward, Wildbo's triumphant return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and I'm your host. And hey, hey, don't touch my bag. I, I wasn't, I wasn't get touching your, it, Matt. Get away from the bag. Yes. Okay. I just... Okay. I wasn't touching it. Okay. I just want you to know that. Anyway, uh, as as you said, this is the podcast where you and I eagerly dive into Wildbo's world of nail polish, villain utopias, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this wonderful novel. And this week, for the first time ever, Matt, we're all caught up. We will be taking, we will be talking about Arc Four Shade chapters four one through four three, which, by the way, are the only chapters that are available this far into the book so far yeah because, and you click that we're basically live yeah you click that next chapter button and nothing happened it was it was surreal it was an interesting experience i was not i was not expecting that but here we are um i think it's gonna be fun we're, we're trying out our new show format which hey guys it's gonna look it's gonna look pretty similar to the old format judging by the number of pages <laughs> by the, the length this episode's gonna be um i think it's gonna be a lot of fun though this was an interesting three chapters that there's a lot, a lot of meat to dive into when we trying out some of our other, our other uh, sections and uh, it's gonna be a good time. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, what do we have to look forward to this week, Scott? This, this week, Victoria and the misfit toys spring their plan into action, entering hollow point on their first reconnaissance session. We find out a little bit about hollow point and its denizens, as well as get some more trickles of information about each member of the misfits Victoria has the team recruit allies to turn the pressure up on the villain, villain Utopia, but the planning is sidelined when they catch a glimpse of Rain's cluster buddies, who are more than determined to take the young cape down. And that's what we get in these first three chapters, and it's very interesting, and I'm, I, I'm into this a lot. There's a lot of interesting thing that goes, things that go on here. One of the things that jumped out to me, uh, these three chapters as a whole, Matt, is now that Victoria has kind of firmly committed to this decision... Um, not only do we see her like not question or or show concern as much concern towards the the emotional state of her new team members, but one of the other things that we don't see is we don't see her internal monologue dealing with her own issues as much. She doesn't fall back into like her uh, the, those that that feeling of drowning she showed a lot in arc one. Um, only at the very end of the third chapter do we see her even mention her force field and the wretch that's part of it. And I think that's because she's kind of jumped into this thing and committed everything to helping these people out to where she's not even really paying attention to her own issues anymore yeah that's very interesting I, I think that you're right that the narrative focus has sort of zoomed out onto this group of characters and we are still seeing her thoughts and opinions on 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 people but it's i agree it's it seems less um predominant than it, than it was in the past um just in general about this you know this is one way in which the format's going to be different is it's it's hard to talk generally about what this arc is going to be because really I feel like these first three chapters in aggregate what they've done is they've cemented our understanding of the situation in hollow point and they've cranked up the tension in a variety of ways and and we all we know is that things are being set up for something explosive to probably happen um in the future yeah no I think you're absolutely right with that and I think there's 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 a lot of characterization there's a lot of things we learn 
externally and internally to a lot of our characters in these first three chapters that I think are going to be fun to talk about. And so let's, I guess let's, let's do it. Yeah. Let's move towards it. All right. So our, our, our new, new feature, uh, we didn't have ward <laughs> is again, uh, the part where we talk about the mistakes that we made last week, which is going to be, uh, ongoing and, and important because this is uh, basically now that we're caught up, uh, it, it, everything is fair game. And if you guys tell us, Hey, you were wrong about this, then, uh, we, we would prefer not to disseminate misinformation. So, so for example, yeah. Uh, I don't even remember which one of us said this, probably me, but uh, th- that I think I said Nilbog's, we didn't know Nilbog's creations could could breed, and apparently that was incorrect, and it was always known that Nilbog's creations could breed. That was, in fact, one of the reasons why he was considered to be such a threat, um, mm-hmm. so we were wrong there. Oops. Yeah. Um, and then my time to shine after I made specific specific time to point it out and say how much I researched this. Um, several people pointed out that they believed, and I, I agree with them, which is why it's here, that the text does seem to support that, at least on some level, Bonesaws did put some good memories into some of her clones, um, depending on which clones those were and what type of personality she needed to construct. So... Um, we had some very good comments related to that 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 explained the uh, the passage very quick, very sufficiently and succinctly to a point where I was like, yeah, you're right. I think uh, well, part of my mistake was I didn't read the entire Bonesaw interlude. I just read up until the first point when she talks about the failed attempt with Ashley. And I thought, uh, OK, that was I got I got that far. That's what it was about. And there's there's more information about it later on in the chapter but yeah i was i was wrong I, I now support you matt and your your theory on this yeah and all i was really saying is that there's a bit of ambiguity to it because all the characters seem to assume that her memories are somehow leaking through her shard and I, i'm not even saying that's impossible all I, all I was saying is you know i thought that some of the bone saw clones did have uh, inserted good memories and so it's not so clear cut so i mean i think we'll i think we will learn the answer to this one way or the other um yeah in the future i mean i think i think one of the things i'm most looking forward to especially after all the stuff we learn about and we see through ashley's experience in this opening chapter is you know what type of person is she really under this 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 evil bravado that she puts up who who is she under that and i think we're going to get there eventually and I'm, I'm pretty excited about it yeah all right, so got our next section. Our next new section is uh, the community spotlight, where we read what people um, what people wrote in, in last week's thread. Um, so, so yeah, it looks like you you pulled out a couple of these. Um, so, Megafire put us all to shame with a lengthy but incisive analysis of Carol's conversation with Victoria at the end of Arc Three. Um, this was this was a a really good um, analysis. And it really goes into Carol's head and, and Victoria's head in, in a very credible way. And it, it actually sparked a lot of discussion about Carol's character. So that was really cool. Yeah, yeah. I I was really, I mean, this is just, it was just fantastic work. Nice job, Megafire. But yeah, I, I love that it, it's, it's these kind of things that I think spark that conversation. And I saw a lot of talks on um, our thread on Reddit in general on our discord about carol and who carol is and what carol's motives are and and what her journey through this story is going to be 
and a lot of speculation on that. And I think that's going to be very interesting. I think it's going to be very interesting to see who who Carol ends up being. Um, you can see these things. You can see these scenes from her point of view, and you can see what she's trying to do, and you can see why she's making the wrong decision and, and, and how and why she's acting the way she is. And I think it's going to be, it's another one of those people that I'm very interested to see what her point of view chapter that we hopefully will eventually get, uh, will look like, because I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this conflict between her daughters is framed in her mind, what she thinks. Um, it seems on the surface that she's downplaying what Amy did to Victoria and not understanding how, horrible it was and how and what it did to her her daughter and but i wonder if that's true i wonder if in her mind she sees that yeah yeah i'm, I'm interested as well i i was i was talking about how i kind of had my own bias in terms of how parent-child relationships can become distorted because you you see your your daughter as you know the the little, little girl who threw a huge tantrum about putting her shoes on when she was four <laughs> and and in some sense, there's continuity with this person in front of you now who's throwing a huge tantrum about what her sister did to her. And it, it takes it takes a lot of perspective to understand that those are different uh, circumstances. Yeah. And I think I, I want to generally caution people to to not jump out to judgment on a lot of these characters too quickly, because I think it was one thing Wild Boat excels at. It's it's how to handle perspective. And I think that's one of the themes of this, this story so far is how perspective clouds, how you see things. Um, we've seen it a lot. Like I, I keep going back to Victoria's interaction with, uh, that guy at the, the car crash at the beginning of the book and how different they saw these two things. And, and we're seeing how perspective, how biases cloud, how you see the world. And I think before we can judge a character completely, we need to be able to see in their head. And I think that's what the interlude chapters do a great job of. So uh, there's a long list of people I can't wait to see in their head. So Yeah, me too. Yeah, um, we, we also had just some general community stuff. I think now that we're all caught up, I get to spend some more time in the Reddit than I normally would. And I get to actually click on uh, Reddit thread titles instead of being afraid of going in there and spoiling myself on something inadvertently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things I saw this week that I thought was great is a, a, a handful of I just finished worm posts. Um, those just made me happy. And I just wanted to say, like, that's that I think it's so great that people like this book so much that they finish it. And one of the first things they want to do is is run into uh, the community and say, guys, I finished it. I loved it. And I want to talk to you people about it now. Uh, that, I think that's great, and yeah. I I wish I saw that in some more of the the other entertainment that I consume. Yeah, I always think it's fun that when people post those threads, they get like highly upvoted, and everyone sort of cheers them. Um, and it's there's this like positive uh, feeling of you know welcome, welcome to our to our little yeah, community. Yeah. It's it's very very heartwarming, uh, especially compared mm-hmm. to the rest of the internet. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and the last thing I wanted to talk about, Matt, is just something that now that I've, I'm in this weird spot where I want, I want to be fully engaged and involved with the community, but I'm also a little bit wary because I don't, I don't want my perspectives and my analysis to be colored by what other people are saying. Um, so I, I'm, I'm dipping my toes in very slowly, but one of the things I've been seeing a lot is people like really excited about this prospect of every new character we meet finding a way to link him back to a, him or her back to a character in Worm, 
um, like either as a, a, a shard split off thing, or maybe this person's actually just this person. He's just rebranded and was wearing a different costume, or maybe they're related to this person or, and I've been seeing this a lot. And I think, I think I understand why it's fun to do. It's fun to make that link and make that connection. But I worry that people are getting a little too carried away with it. And I, and, and the, the, the thing here is, I think you're like, hurting your ability to enjoy the characters in the present you're just looking for clues about who they really are instead of paying attention to who they are right now in this story and and i I would caution people not to get too wrapped up in that yeah i mean the the thing is anything can happen notionally but Mm -hmm. one thing we learned from worm is is that you know your mode of making predictions by assessing things on a thematic level seems to be a really good method for understanding what's going to happen and when you're what like you said i understand the fun of trying to figure out if this guy is actually this guy and 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 is this is this a a, a shard splintered off from this person or whatever um it's all it's all fun, but if you ask yourself, like, is this something that Wildbow would write <laughs> in 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 terms of themes? Um, that's usually the the question that's going to give you the most mileage. Right. Well, and I think like even even if you're right, like even if you have a good theory and it ends up being a correct one, which I'm sure with the number of characters we have and the number of characters we're going to meet, there are going to be some characters that end up being hidden. Uh, revealed later callbacks to things in worm that's gonna happen but even even if so like i i just i enjoy the book as enjoy word ward as ward and not just ward as an extension of worm is what i guess what i'm trying to say yeah well i think i think people are gonna people are gonna be uh as crazy as they want to be and and more power yeah no sure i would never i like i would never tell you guys to to stop with the speculation. I know that's, it's so much fun to do. Um, but just like, enjoy the character for who he is in the book right now. And not, is this actually this person? Yeah. Yeah. I see what you mean. All right. And that's it for the community spotlight this week, Matt, keep those great posts and threads and everything coming. We are paying attention to all of them. If something jumps out, we really like, we will highlight it here. Yeah. All right, and now let's move into chapter 4.1 of Arc 4 Shade. And we start off this chapter following Ashley. And we actually may assume, and I think I did assume, that she's the point of view character um, due to the fact that we're following her around. Uh, Mm -hmm. But you you do notice on some level that you're not seeing into her head. You're seeing what she's doing, you're following her around, but you're not not seeing her thoughts. Um, So anyway, she makes her way boldly into Hollow Point, making herself highly visible, and the inhabitants obviously notice her, but they give her plenty of space at first, at least. And uh, as she's walking around, um, she, she's looking around. She sees ads in the window showed a variety of nail art. Ashley held out her hand in front of her. Her black nail polish contrasted with the colorful chevalier pattern, mimicking the delicate gold, gold flourishes on a silver background. She moved her hand to compare to the Alexandria image. And uh, All right, Scott, I'm going to go get a sandwich while you uh, dig into this uh, this part here. <laughs> So, um, in, in classic me sense, I read this paragraph and immediately fell in love with it. And 
I loved what the imagery here says about Ashley and, and who she is as a person and what she's going through. And, and I think to me so far, as we kind of hinted to in the introduction, Ashley is probably one of the most interesting characters in the group to me right now. And, and probably one of the biggest unknowns. She, she's literally this person that was created to be evil, to be a monster. That was, that was her, the intent of creating a damsel of distress clone. That's her job. But but we see here she's she's decided now to ally with the heroes, at least temporarily. She says it's to gather information and she's going to um, she's going to betray them and go back to the villains the second they fail. Um, but that sounds very familiar to a certain person from a book we read mm-hmm. a few months ago that uh, had that same idea reversed and it, it didn't didn't really work out. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's it's interesting, like. I, I I don't I don't fully buy that, but regardless, I think this this little paragraph right here demonstrates this conflict that's that's kind of raging inside her. This idea of good or bad, hero or villain, of of do you want to be what you were programmed to be, or do you want to be something different? And we're gonna get into it in a lot of detail here because that's what I do. But um, I just love it. And I wanted before before we get into it, I just wanted your thoughts on yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I I view this as just an ex- exceedingly subtle, um, lightly touched upon way of illustrating that there may be a bit of conflict within her. Right. It's yeah. It, it just I mean, and this is very visual. That's one thing I love about it. Is I mean, it's, it's <laughs> clearly visual because it is literally the view of, you know of a camera that is being observed by someone else, although mm-hmm. we don't know that yet. Um, yeah. and it's, it's, it's cinematic is what I'm trying to say. It's, it's, you're, you're showing this character. You can imagine her approaching this window and holding her, her hand out and comparing and as if she's, as if she's trying to make a choice between these two things, or as if she's considering, considering this more than just which of these patterns is prettier. You know, there's, there's more going on yeah. here. Oh, absolutely. And I think, I think that the, like, like we've said over and over again, there there is purpose behind decisions in writing like so so we look here and she's comparing them to two patterns that represent two different capes in the world and it's very interesting to see which two capes those are first we have chevalier who who is largely considered by like almost everyone in the world as like a best example of the good ones he is He's made mistakes, yes, he's not a perfect person, but I feel like I'm pretty safe in saying that, that, that he is one of the best examples of what a hero can and should be, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I'm a little bit worried about the fact that he has that ingenue residue, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah. I think I think at least in, in Ashley's mind in this moment, I think she's right. th- that would be the connotation that she would have in mind. Yeah, yeah, so she first she first compares herself to him. And and we get this this beautiful line, her black nail polish contrasted with the colorful pattern, mimicking the delicate glowed flourish it flourishes. So so no dice on that front. She she too contrasted. Mm-hmm. So what's next? And then she moves her hand and compares it to the Alexandria image. And that's an interesting was isn't it? Like that's an interesting cape. Mm-hmm. Alexandria, one of the, the greatest, most famous heroes of the Protectorate, except she was just pretending. She was she was just pretending to be that hero. She she was working for Cauldron the whole time, and and we can get into a whole Cauldron debate. Uh, I don't I don't want to. <laughs> um, I think regardless of that, Alex did some pretty fucked up things 
over the course of her life as she was pretending to be this great noble hero that was looking out for the best in everyone. Uh, she kidnapped and enslaved people. She did some pretty horrible things. She lied to, to everyone. So after Chevalier wasn't quite a fit to her, Ashley moves on to Alexandria. And I like that the text here doesn't explicitly say anything else. This is the end of this paragraph. Mm -hmm. Ashley then moves on and starts looking at something else. But we know things about this. We know that an Alexandria theme probably would be black and gray because that was her costume. And now we've been told that Ashley's nail polish is black. So it's safe to see here that as she holds up her black nail polish to this pattern, that it fits, that this is a fit for her. This is much closer to a match. So Ashley, while pretending to be a hero at this point, is comparing herself to Alexandria, of all people. And and that is interesting. And I think I think what we need to do, what we need to take with this going forward, besides just a useless, useless <laughs> move into nail polish conversation, but we need to take this and pay attention to when Ashley picks a new costume, when Ashley picks um, what, what her new look and how she's going to present herself as part of this new group, what is that going to look like? Yeah. And I think, I think this is, this is priming us to notice that and to pay attention to what that eventual look will be. Right. Because it's very important actually that she find a, a hero persona that is tolerable to her because if if she forces a hero persona that doesn't work for her the odds that she's going to stick with that persona are, are zero so yeah um and, and the the amount of energy she puts into trying to find a potentially worthwhile hero persona also shows how interested she actually is in becoming a hero yeah i i i completely agree and i will be very much paying attention to what what her costume looks like what she looks like when she when she make when when we get to that point in the story yeah i'm really excited about this character mm -hmm. yeah um so yeah we we move on and she walks out of the store um glancing over one shoulder to see um the the, the guy who followed her basically pays for the the dress that she's taking um yeah yeah this is this is soup so yeah so basically she's gone into a clothing store prancer who we learn he's prancer a little bit later, but he confronts her and says he wants to talk. They go outside to talk and the, the store lady has given her the dress and said, just remember us when you, when you do your crimes, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't forget that we gave this to you for free. And we see as she does that, that prancer pays off the store clerk. And is he paying for the dress or is he just paying for her silence? Or is it one of the two? Mm -hmm. And this, I, I pulled this out, Matt, because this is pretty fascinating. The situation in Cedar Point in Hollow Point is interesting and it is not quite what I expected. Our, our good guy team has targeted this area for their first operation. But on first glance, there's not a lot of like bad stuff going on here. Well, we'll learn a little bit later that our, there are definitely shadier elements involved, but our first introduction to the area is Prancer who introduces himself as basically the king of the place. And we know this guy from the first interlude as a person who just basically dealt drugs and was a driver for heists, right? He's not like Prince of evil guy. Yeah. Yeah. He seems actually more competent here than I that I would have given him credit for in uh, yeah. in, the, in that first interlude. Yeah. And in this scene, he, he calmly walks up to Ashley to introduce himself. He calmly explains the situation in a hollow point. And then after Ashley is, is given that dress for free, he loops back and discreetly pays 
off the merchant. And so like hollow point is not this wretched hive of scum and villainy. It is not that merchant's mall scene. We saw Taylor thrust into it is not there. There are bad guys here. This is the, the utopia for villains, but it's quiet. The streets as Ashley sees it are pretty empty. There's not like, there's not a lot of really bad things going on here on the surface. Yeah, I, I thought that was fascinating too because you know we have we're setting up our our hero team to be counter to this area, and, and all the other heroes are actually kind of verbally worried about this. Like when they went to talk to Forsyth, they're like, "Yeah, you're right. Hollow Point is a huge problem." And when they talked to Houndstooth in a bit, he's like, "Yeah, I was worried nobody was looking into that." And it's funny to me because Hollow Point, so far, I'm not saying that this is like the truth, but like so far. It really just seems like it's a, a place where the villains have, have said, like, we need a place to settle down so we're not literally homeless. And 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 it's just kind of a, a stable solution to the problem of itinerant villains. And um, and like you said, it, nothing nothing overtly terrible is, is happening yet. And it's giving us it's, it's kind of a very interesting moral ambiguity vibe going on that I'm that I'm really enjoying. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I think we'll get into that even more as we learn more and more about this place, yeah. for sure. Um, um, the other thing I wanted to point out here is how antagonistic Ashley is being mm-hmm. in this situation and, and how that says a lot about Prancer, too. Yeah, uh, she, she's saying, like, normally the person holding the territory does something to earn the respect. Normally, when someone brings up respect, they're prepared to back it up with words. Are you going to back up your words and give me some evidence that you deserve even a token show of respect? Yeah, that's like she's baiting him yeah. <laughs> into conflict. Like that's specifically what she's trying to do. And he never takes the bait. He never escalates. He just kind of like sighs at her and then lectures her about how power works in this area, mm-hmm. um, which is which is something we pull. I don't think we have to read this entire thing that I pulled out, but I, I just think we're going to definitely talk about what power is and how power is shown and used in a little bit and so i think it's very important here that prancer lectures her on how power works and what the different kinds of power separate from cape power are yeah i think it's definitely worth it to pull out some of this like for example he says he says right out i'm not a warlord which i i view as you know subtextual reference to say this is not this is not skitter's territory that she rules with an iron fist and then he goes on to say, I manage a very diverse group. If someone causes a problem or someone tests us, I can and will give that diverse group direction to adjust the rules. I can and will point one of the many, many powers we have at our disposal here at that someone. Um, and, and and that's, you know, and then he goes on to say, these aren't just parahuman powers. These can be political, economic, social. Um, and it's very, very much in contrast to this idea of, for example, what we saw with the undersiders where, they were locking down control, and if, if any, you know, if anybody comes into the territory, they're like, you know, either get out of here or like, just very, you know, violent and and uh, um, ruthless in in terms of how they manage it. This is a completely different animal, and we, yeah. we're not even sure exactly if we should take Prancer at face value, but at least it it seems very different so far. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we finished this part and then it is revealed that we were not in Ashley's or real point of view. We were just watching through Victoria, watching through a camera. And so we do this kind of fake out and perspective switch. 
And so, so I thought this was really interesting, Matt. And I wrote another page about <laughs> how interesting I thought this was, um, because so basically, this whole first half of the chapter is basically a fake out to the readers, right? You you open in third person. We're following Ashley, and in the back of your head, like you said, you're a little confused because the book has established these rules, and it appears to be in the middle of breaking them. What's going on? Is this another interlude arc where we're following a different person each each chapter? What is going on? And then it, it is revealed that the perspective has not switched. We were just watching Victoria watch Ashley. And I think the question we're forced to ask ourselves in that moment then, or at least you and I are forced to ask ourselves because we're, we're doing a show analyzing the book, um, is why did we do it this way? Why do the fake out? And I think this is an interesting question to ask, and I'm going to attempt to answer it. Yeah. Um, Sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, I, I, I have my own ideas, but you go first. You've, I think you've thought about this more. Yeah, so I, I think, first of all, it solves a structural problem. I think we talked about this in Worm a lot, how the first-person narrative perspective is really great and really powerful, especially in establishing uh, who your protagonist is and who they hold themselves out to be versus who they really are, but it's also very limiting. You're locked in that character perspective. You can only see what they see. Um, so if you want to go to a place that your main character is not, you have to cheat a little. And I think that Wild Bo uses the interludes in that way very effectively. Um, and he does it a little bit here, too, where we're cheating a little bit. So wh- why not just be upfront with the idea that Victoria is just observing this conversation then? Uh, because I think it kind of kills the momentum of the scene a little bit. See, we're, we're not just learning about Hollow Point here. We're learning about Ashley. And we're learning what it's like to be Ashley. What the day in and day out life of this person is. And, and what is that like? Well, we have these beats throughout this section of people that noticed Ashley were quick to avert their eyes or mind their own business. A bar where the man at the counter pretended not to see her. The young woman she sees looked terrified. So people people that see her avert their eyes. People pretend not to see her at all. And when she does look at them, they are terrified. And she isn't doing anything. She's just window shopping. That's literally all she's doing right now. This is, this is Ashley's life. She spends hours and hours being tested and watched by the protectorate, by or the, the former protectorate. Um, by these people that are trying to make sure she's not going to go crazy and kill people. And then when she's free of that, her mere existence causes people to be afraid of her. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I wasn't sure whether she's even wearing a mask in this scene or not. I don't think yeah, so. I, I didn't see any evidence that she was, which basically means that her normal, uncostumed appearance is so remarkable that people are scared of her just on sight. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, it, and it's true we could have shown all this and still made it clear that it was Victoria watching. We still could have done that. But but isn't it more immediate this way? Don't you feel it a little more when you when you think you're in that person's perspective when you don't know that you're just another person watching that person? I think it, it feels a little bit more present when you just feel like you're in Ashley's head. Yeah, I mean, I actually wonder how, how far to take this because like, are we to believe that Vic, that when Ashley holds up her hand to look at the Chevalier pattern and the Alexandria pattern, are we to believe that this is Victoria kind of narrating this to herself and we are watching her thoughts? Or are we merely looking at the computer screen, as it were, like like looking over her shoulder, and that's what we see, 
that's not necessarily what Victoria notices, you know. Um, I think I think per the rules of the book, I think it has to be the former. I, I think I think I think you're right. Um, but it's 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 in, it, I think in terms of the space that it puts you in, um, it makes you feel more like you're just watching the computer screen. I, I think I think right. you're right. But but yeah, it's uh, that's that's what I like about it. I mean, so so my my thought in terms of in terms of the structure of this of this arc, we already kind of mentioned that we think that this arc has is a little bit a little bit more distance from Victoria's thoughts and, and that Victoria herself may be yeah. a little bit more um uh calm or, or perhaps detached or or something like that. Um that's that's allowing her thoughts to be a little bit less dominant. And the fact that this entire I mean this is the beginning of the arc, right? The the first chapter of the arc sets the tone for the arc. And the intro to this arc is so detached from Victoria that we don't even realize we're in her head. And there yeah. are a few moments in this chapter, like the first one that comes to mind is, is, is uh, sorry, not this chapter, but this trio of chapters. The one that comes to mind is uh, when Kenzie rebuffs her attempt to um, give her a hug, Victoria does not have a internal monologue response to that at all. Yeah. She just yeah. doesn't. And that's really interesting um, because that's, I'm not going to say that 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 never happens in in Worm or or Ward, but that's a, that's an atypical uh, uh, move to make there. So I think it's worth it. Very much to. is. I I like that a lot, and I think we'll get to those in more detail as they come because I don't think that's the only example of Victoria lacking an internal monologue when something happens that you think she would internally respond to. Yeah. But I, I like that idea that this sets the tone that maybe maybe we're saying here by not starting on Victoria that. This arc isn't about her. I mean, this whole story is about her, but maybe the focus of this part of the story is not centered on her. Yeah, I like that. I, I, I like think that's that. yeah. that's very good. Yeah, yeah. But I do, I do think it is still important that if if we go back to our first person perspective, if after the fact we reveal that we've actually still been in Victoria's head the whole time, then then the most important part of the interaction for our protagonist is still still achieved because we were in her head the whole time. The way that people acted around Ashley was noticed by Victoria. We have to we have to acknowledge that she is aware of this now. And in this this world where Victoria is kind of using Ashley as the test subject for whether or not perceived monsters deserve a second chance. I think that is very, very important. I agree. Yeah, that, that is really cool. But yeah, yeah. Um, then we, we, we get back into Victoria's point of view and we realize that's you know, where we've been the whole time, more or less. And, and she's in the, I guess what we're going to call the, the headquarters. Um, yeah, yeah. and, and she's, she's there with, um, with the various, uh, the various, the various, uh, I guess everyone's there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, everyone's yeah, there. Yeah. Everyone's yep. there. And they're, they're, they're watching this over Kinsey's, you know, camera drones and, and her technology is pretty useful. Oh yeah. Like she's the MVP of the, the group right now. Like, we said last week that this whole plan of theirs basically entirely relies on Kenzie. And I think we're seeing that in action. Like if it was not for Kenzie's power and what Kenzie can do, this plan just flat out wouldn't work. Yeah. Uh, one thing I was imagining, like w- when they talked to Houndstooth later, I was thinking like, man, what if you had Kenzie on your team and then you didn't anymore? Like how you would, you would get so spoiled. Um, I mean, she probably has yeah, all kinds yeah. of personality problems that we're going to find out about, but like you get so spoiled with like every surface being a camera view of your target. You, <laughs> yeah. You don't have that anymore without Kenzie. Yeah. I think, uh, this is a little bit of a, um, 
random thing, but I think I remember someone saying, I don't remember if it was on Twitter or on one of our, um, our Reddit threads. So apologies to the person who said it, that I'm not giving you credit for it, but they said that, um, Kenzie could possibly solve the the problem with your protagonist not being the type of person that can survey a battlefield inherently through their power. So having her teamed up with Kenzie, who has a power that can do that, is inherently like a way to to fix that that problem. Yeah, yeah. It give, it and I like gives that. us battlefield awareness. That I think yeah, that's yeah. that's completely um, that that works at least. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we so so here we have uh, Natalie who is. Uh, the the lower level lawyer or perhaps paralegal I'm not entirely sure that Carol uh, recommended to help Victoria with with this team um, and we get a description of her um, <laughs> you want me to read the whole the whole description no I think just the end part is the important yeah, part the, the end like... part is uh she wore a straight cut skirt that started at the waist and ended at the knee in dark hose with tidy heelless business shoes. It was the kind of thing that made a model in a magazine look stunning, but Natalie was five foot two. She didn't really have a waist and the outfit made both of those things very obvious. Yeah. And she also says that she dresses in clothes that made me think she picked clothes out of a magazine without reading the rationale behind these clothes. It's like very like pointed and kind of rude. And my initial reaction was projecting much Victoria. Like, it's pretty safe to say she's got her her very serious body issues, right? She's dealing with her, who she is and what she looks like on a very traumatic level, and and I so I think it's no it's no accident that she has taken special care to notice the looks and bodies of other people, especially women. Um, we saw her basically like go crazy over how Aaron looked. Like she took like. She had to be a supermodel. It's a shame if you're not a supermodel. And then she sizes up Natalie and specifically her clothes and then just kind of cuts her down. Yeah, this is it is interesting. Um, uh, I do have to contrast it to the way Taylor does that did things because she's she's really mainly focusing on the clothes. Like I actually have the impression that if Natalie had you know read the fashion magazines correctly in in victoria's you know parlance then she could have figured out an outfit that would have actually complemented her figure and then victoria would have been like oh yes despite the fact that she didn't have an hourglass figure she she really made it work and owned it like you can imagine victoria having a completely completely different assessment of someone simply due to be, due to how they dressed and i think that's um the remarkable thing about her is is she she actually yeah. cares a lot about how people are putting themselves forth and not just about you know the hand they were dealt genetically yeah that you're, you're absolutely right about the comparison to taylor and that got me thinking about taylor's um description fucking as we so charmingly called uh-huh. it back then and you know it's it's interesting like we we kind of wrote that as this is Taylor like paying attention to like when she's attracted to someone, you can tell by the way she describes them. And that's true. But also it got me thinking about Taylor's descriptions are purely functional. Taylor looks at a person and sizes up how they, how they can like excel in a situation she needs them for. So when she's looking at someone's muscles, when she's looking at Brian's muscles, she's not just saying, Ooh, I like muscles. It's, very much, I 
think that he would be a strong person and good in a fight because that's how Taylor's brain worked. And you're absolutely right. The Victoria does not see things like that. Victoria pays attention to the clothes. She she pays attention to how the the way someone presents themselves to the world, not just what their what their functionality is in the world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I like that this is a continuing thread with her where she is so fashion conscious that it doesn't even occur to her that most people are not at all. Um, at least that's my take right. on it. Yeah. 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 So yeah, we're, we're listening in on this conversation, um, between, uh, so yeah, basically, uh, uh, Ashley leaves. Um, they, 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 after being a complete pill, Ashley leaves, <laughs> and and then we continue to listen in on this conversation between Prancer, Velvet, uh, Nailbiter, and Bitter Pill, and and we learn some interesting um, background about these characters. Yeah, yeah. Well, th- there's a couple things I wanted to point out here um, because I think one of the things Prancer says is he wants to he wants to ha- speak in private with these guys about something, and he says there's more to it. Ties into something we've heard from key voices i'd rather have that conversation somewhere more private than this so there's already like a pretty big indication that their plan this brilliant plan they have might already be kind of sniffed out like like that there there's something going on that they already maybe know about and and like you said earlier we don't see anyone react to this line we don't see victoria clock this at all um and and like like i said at the beginning we just finished this whole arc where victoria was made aware of and parsed through all the warning signs about the volatility of the group about how this might not be the best idea and she basically ignored them um i mean she noted them maybe she'll use them a little bit later but it didn't stop her from committing to this group and here now the threats are external they're not exactly internal they're external to the group you you're they there's rumblings going on Ashley being here ties into something they've already heard. And I think we maybe learn what that is by the end of the third chapter, but no one seems to have noticed that sentence or, or they don't react to it in any kind of real way. Yeah. Right. It's to us, the reader, it it telegraphs this sense of like a a larger conspiracy at work. And and none of these guys really, like you said, react to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. There's, there's this cool moment where um nailbiter who is who is like kind of a, a prickly character asks why they were invited to this little discussion and prancer says it's because i think you and her referring to ashley are similar you respect strength you know how power works um and i, I like this simply because it calls back to the conversation between nilbog and the two queens um how power works i think is going to be a, a theme of the story I think you're right. And I think it reflects what we've seen throughout Hollow Point so far, too, right? Um, Prancer discusses his soft hand type of leadership in contrast to what Ashley wants, which is more hard-handed, violent, aggressive type of leadership. And and this is demonstrating how people view power in different ways and therefore require different approaches. And I like that, like we said up above, we discuss the different kinds of power we're seeing. There's, There's literal superpowers there's political power there's economic power there's social power there are all these different ways in which you can gain and use power and it's complicated there 
there are different ways to handle people that approach power in different ways. And Prancer, to his credit, seems to be fully aware of that and knows exactly who to slot against Ashley. It's someone who perceives and understands power the way she does. Yeah. yeah. So and that demonstrates that he's fairly savvy, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So this group of villains then moves inside where Kenzie can't keep tabs on them anymore. And she does admit that it's within the realm of possibility to monitor things happening inside buildings. But it's it doesn't seem like it's easy for her. Um, and she says, yes, yeah, she can make a, a sound camera uh, if she needs to. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting little beat there, right, Matt? Mm-hmm. Um, it, I think you specifically said to me, isn't that like Bakuda? Because she could just make bombs and they could be anything bomb as long as it explodes at the end. Right. She could make anything camera as long as it takes in light, records something. I don't know. I don't know the limits of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, we see we see how abstract she gets with things in, in a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I saw your remark on this on in the live tweet and I noticed it too where uh, they're, they're, they're inside the, the room and Rain is saying, we got a lot of the whiteboards because we thought we'd have one for each member of the team and one for you, Victoria, two for Kenzie and two for me because we're tinkers and you can never give tinkers too many surfaces to write stuff on. So, so what you were pointing out was that she says, you know, one for each member of the team and one for you, uh, uh, which is gently saying not really a member of the team. So I think different team yeah. members may hold Victoria at different levels of arm's length. Of course, in the next chapter, Victoria just shrugs when Capricorn gives her that questioning glance after he says partial member of the team. And I interpret that to mean that she is actually open to the idea, which is a step beyond her just being the coach, I think. Yeah, it is. It is absolutely correct. And she absolutely wants to be more than just a coach, even if it's just uh, it's just completely unlike an unconscious desire of hers yeah yeah. and i i really like how this whole thing is constructed though to break this whole thing down a little bit rain goes very much out of his way to draw this distinction victoria is basically just apologizing for taking over a whiteboard and rain doesn't say it's fine he doesn't say oh we got enough for everyone he constructs the sentence and outlines the precise details of the entire whiteboard situation and and says, we got enough for the team and one for you. And then he goes on to immediately explain that Kenzie and himself get two because they're tinkers and, and tinkers need that, which is completely superfluous information. That doesn't matter. Like, that, none, it, it is not information that Victoria needed. It is not information that anyone really needed. It's just all you needed to say was, Victoria, we got you a whiteboard. Yeah. But he doesn't do that. And and the the... The thing tacked onto the end about him and Kenzie seems to almost like distract from the fact that he just made this. Maybe he's like we learn a little bit later about Rain that he seems to have really low self-esteem. So maybe he like realized that he made this distinction and then like tries to distract by deflecting the conversation towards the ones that he and, and Kenzie have. Um, it's very it's very interesting. And, and Victoria doesn't clock it at all. Again, we don't hear any internal reaction in her head that mm-hmm. yeah it is interesting like it, it did feel a little bit like he was backpedaling potentially and and i agree that yeah. she i think that she is okay this is my this is my own interpretation which is i, I don't know if it's terribly well supported but i feel like she's actually avoiding touching on any thought that 
forces her to actually distinguish whether she's a member of this team or not because she yeah. sort of desperately wants to be a member of some kind of team slash family, but also can't um, cogn- like like consciously grapple with that idea. So she just kind of lets it slide every time it comes up. That's what. This- yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the the shrug in the next chapter kind of indicates that too. Mm-hmm. Like when he says partial member, she doesn't want to commit to it. She doesn't want to say yes or no. She just shrugs. Yeah. And we don't we don't see the inner monologue meaning of what that shrug means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at this point, Natalie gives them a bit of, bit of advice on what they should avoid doing, and then she leaves. She's throughout her whole dialogue she's very very concerned with what these kids are doing here yeah literally everyone they bring on board is like i I don't i don't know Mm -hmm. i mean i guess i i wanted to deal with that but i don't know and here we have a lawyer being like guys this is this is not a good idea yeah right and it's interesting the, the kinds of small things that she pays attention to like i don't think she should have taken the dress because now she's received a gift from them and i'm like uh, Oh my god, yeah, that's yeah. that's such a that's such a true detail. They would totally try to get it you is. on that. It really is. Yeah. Um, so Victoria writes on her whiteboard the contact information for Gilpatrick, and I think the text is just reminding us that that exists as a plot element. I'm I'm sure it won't come up again though. Yeah, yeah. There's setup that hides in the grass a little bit, and then there's this, <laughs> which is so so transparent. It's like don't forget get who who Gilpatrick is. The book declares, yeah. don't forget this guy. He's going to come back. Yeah. Um, so Victoria then writes, team needs name and brand. I'm, I'm confused, Scott. They're, they're the misfit toys. They don't, they, we, we, they have a name. Yeah. I thought we had all decided on this. There was, there was a meeting. We took votes yeah. and I, I won. Do, do you think people don't get the reference? Like, I, I wonder about this because we're old and I don't know if younger people have watched the Rankin and Bass Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Reindeer film. Yeah, it's fairly likely that they haven't. Man. So that's, that's an, what that, that is, makes guys. Feel, yeah. It's from it's from the claymation Rudolph, guys. Yeah, and it fits. It's an island where all the, the broken toys go. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, they start talking about individual names for themselves since most of them don't have cape names that they can use except for Capricorn. Uh, this predictably devolves into 100% suggesting names with sexual innuendo. Um, of course it does, because they're children. And, and of course it functions as a hum- as a good kind of humorous, lighthearted inter- interval to, number one, establish the personalities of the characters and how some of them get along better than others. Number two, show that these characters actually like each other and can get along in a lighthearted, non-intense therapy context. And number three, set up a light, optimistic tone for the rest of the arc that I'm sure won't be violently subverted. <laughs> nope, not at all. Yeah, I loved this part. I laughed through all of this. Uh, I love it so much. They just kind of keep one-upping each other, too. Yeah. And there's so many little wonderful beats in here. Like this part where Kenzie can't read sarcasm at all because <laughs> Sveta says, I'm shocked, just shocked at how Chris finally starts participating more when the rude stuff comes up. And Kenzie's like, I'm not. It's like, no, she was. See, yeah, she was being she sarcastic. Was thing, yeah, that's <laughs> uh, great. Uh, Spetta is, is hilarious. Yeah, but also Matt Victoria's name. I thought this was interesting. Uh-huh. Um, she comes up with this name and she puts it out there like triumphantly. She's like, ah, I have an opening. If I'm going to get along with these guys, I need to put something out there. 
and she comes up with pearl uh-huh. and it goes over like a lead balloon <laughs> like it just fizzles nobody thinks it's a good idea nobody likes it nobody like kenzie doesn't get the joke and then kenzie goes and googles it and is like yeah that's not good (laughs) (laughs) it's like so much for trying to endear yourself to the team victoria well it is kind of funny because she's like 21 and she's like i've got to i've got to participate in this in this uh joke with these hello fellow teens. hello fellow teens (laughs) let me make a let me make a lewd sexual remark that that only highlights the dis- the distance between us. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Um, yeah, so the chapter wraps up with Victoria canvassing the team to see what everyone's resources are in terms of personal contacts. Yeah, because Victoria has decided that she hates Tattletail so much and Tattletail is going to be such a pain to them that they have to take her out of the equation first. Yep. Which is, I mean, probably smart, but also incredibly risky. Yeah, right. And finally, we are done with the first chapter. Yeah. They will not all be this long. That was my bad, everyone. Yeah, we're getting adjusted, everyone. Yes. So we move on into chapter 4.2. Kinsey is doing some homework. Uh, we get the sense that this is probably, you know, same day, just a little bit later, I would guess. Um, Kinsey does some homework that she's not super invested in. The other teammates try to help her with it. Uh, we see that Chris knows what a what Paragon is. And also, we know already that he uses phrases like "wan indulgence." Um, so I'm getting I'm getting the sense that Chris is maybe a bit of a brain. Yeah, and we learn here that like he doesn't actually go to school. There's not enough seats available at school, so they just send him workbooks, and he completes the workbooks, and that's his schooling. And it is very surprising that in that kind of unstructured environment, Chris would not only keep up with the workbooks, but like go above and beyond. And it got me thinking about his, his emotions and his emotional types and how he cycles through this. And we know from last week that focus is one of his emotional states. And so do you think like Chris, like basically takes Cape Adderall in going into his focus mode and just like works at studying for like a day and gets gets way far ahead and commits to this because like when he's in focus emotion everything else goes away and that's all he can do and then switches out later like it seems like that could be a possibility yeah that hadn't occurred to me but that sounds very plausible i like that um i mean i was i just think it's interesting even setting aside i guess that, that that's possible um but it's also just i was noticing that you know he he dresses in this extraordinarily slovenly sloppy fashion um and the character impression that's coming across here is very different from that so yeah i and i i like i don't know if you had people like in i i knew people in high school that were like actually super smart but like intentionally made themselves not look like that yeah. Um I knew I knew several of those people. My sister dated one. Yeah, I mean I guess that's true is he he fits a certain a certain stereotype of of really smart kid who doesn't see the point of social interactions and so doesn't bother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they grow into a hedge fund manager when they're in their 30s. <laughs> um yeah. So yeah, Kenzie messes with everybody by appearing to deface her homework sheet in a way that demonstrates her tinkeriness making it uniquely Kenzie by using lucky charm symbols for algebra symbols. 
but her scribblings are actually just projected onto the page. The page itself is fine. Um, I'm sure this is also not setting up anything for later. Yeah, and we've we've basically just seen definitive proof here that Kenzie can make projections that are entirely indistinguishable from from the real thing to a human eye. So um, not only that, but we also see Kenzie's cleverness in hiding this stuff. She uh, she she fills like as she's faking everyone out, she's also finding a way to secretly fill in the real answers on the real sheet um, and hiding it behind her little fake out doodle. So we see that she's really good at not only faking all these people out, but but tricking them while she's doing it. And so she's projecting something while doing something else. And I'm sure that is nothing that we'll see her do again throughout this book. Yes, I agree. Ever. Not at all. Yeah. Um, the, the part I like about this most is kind of seeing how the mind of a tinker works, though. Because in Worm, we got into a tinker point of view seldomly. We... we we're with Kidwin and uh, Defiant for a little bit, but it's it's unique to see the tinkering perspective coming from a child, right? Like she doesn't really understand the things she knows. She just knows them. And it's very interesting to see, like she's talking about these hyper, hyper paragons and she gets them enough to be able to work with them and create stuff with them. But to explain them and to explain how she's getting there to someone else is something she just can't describe. Yeah, right. It's it's a kind of insight that she doesn't even really have the ability to to convey. Right. It's it's kind of yeah. cool. Um sorry. No, and and then one more thing I had and I promise we can move on is um there's this beat where Kenzie talks about how she doesn't do good in English because her English teacher hates her because she docked her grade because she wanted to stay inside at recess to talk with her about a project. And she said, I couldn't, and she needed a break from me. And this idea that Kenzie can be overbearing at times in her, in her attachment to people that she's so obsessed with not being left behind or not being included that she kind of attaches herself to things and people. And that, that can be very dangerous and very relationship damning. Um, And I, I like, like, it's easy to say this as like the, the teacher's just fed up, but also my wife's a teacher. Teachers need their alone time from kids, especially younger kids. Yeah. And and Kenzie reads this as rejection, and that's why she has to argue against it. Like, you're leaving me behind. You're leaving me out. And that's the one thing she can't stand. Yeah, and also this story is a bit of a non sequitur because she says she docked my grade because I wanted to stay inside at recess to talk with her about a project, and she said I couldn't. Okay, so Kinsey, the the actual story is you wanted to stay inside with her and talk about her, but talk about the project. The teacher said, "No, I need a break from you. You're driving me crazy." Then you probably insisted and refused to go outside, and then the doctor and, and then the the teacher docked you a grade because you weren't listening to what she said. Right? Like, like yeah. the, that's probably really what happened. But because because there's there's no there's no reason why the teacher would dock her grade in this scenario that she's just described. So, um, yeah, no, and I think I think she actually goes on and says that the teacher says no ifs ands or buts, mm-hmm. and Kenzie immediately says but, mm-hmm. and then she docks her a point, and then she says like five more words, and she says I'm docking you a point for every single word you say. Uh-huh. Go outside, and of course she doesn't because she got to explain. And, yeah, uh, yeah, 
That's true. Yeah, I guess or, I was. I was cancer. It was just the the way she chose to frame the story at first was like, wait a second, I don't know if that's quite. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The the it's not her fault. Yeah. It's the teacher's right. fault. Yeah. So Rain is also here, and he should be doing homework, but he isn't. Uh, despite the fact this is clearly study hall, uh, he dismisses <laughs> the idea of working too hard on school since he'll either just be a career cape or dead, I guess. Yeah, Matt, I'm really torn on Rain after this chapter, Matt. I think we'll get into this more as we we go, but I don't I don't know what to make of him at all, and I think my initial read was probably an unfair one. Um, yeah, I don't know if it was. I I think I think we're being led in different directions. Um, but, but yeah, we'll we'll get into him a little bit more. Uh, so yeah, here he talks about his power, and like you just said, this makes us feel. This makes me at least feel even more uncertain about whether he's been intentionally deceptive or just as he says, has low self-esteem and and is downplaying his power due to lack of confidence because here he shows the the stopping mover power that we saw before that he that we thought he'd been hiding um, and he admits to Victoria that he could stop himself even if he was going terminal velocity. So he basically tells her everything that he did, you know, secretly that she happened to be spying on. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we're like, oh, okay, well, then, then he wasn't just, hiding it he just he just really doesn't think it's a good power and yeah which is interesting because i i don't think it sounds like a terrible power like uh, it, just just using the multiple arms and the ability to like throw yourself through the air and then stop yourself on a dime seems like a way you could develop a fairly difficult to deal with combat style yeah i mean taylor could take like five minutes and come up with like 27 different amazing ways to make that power murder yeah, everyone. Right. But yeah, I, I really like the the self-esteem comment because he specifically says, Miss Yamada thinks I have self-esteem problems, but I do suck. It's not low self-esteem. <laughs> I just don't have any confidence in myself. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, that's particularly yeah. like, imagine if you had a superpower, you had a, an actual superpower. You're like, yes, I have a yeah. superpower, but it's not a very good one. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting that Victoria herself also kind of agrees with him. Like she's like, there were uses, but did sound somewhat limiting for even a secondary power. Yeah, I thought that was interesting that she's that she didn't think it was that good. Um, right. But but Rain, I think the most interesting thing to me here is Rain's follow up because Victoria says he reads something. He he must have read something in my expression, and then he goes on to explain actually. How it is a very bad power. How I have to I have to wait for it to charge up before I use it again, and and like dives further into that explanation. And that made me think, what was what was the expression on Victoria's face that made him do that? Because because we know in her head she's thinking that it is kind of a limited power, but his response seems to indicate that her expression was no, no, this is this is actually pretty useful, and I wasn't sure about that. Yeah. I, I guess I was interpreting it as like a mildly skeptical frown, which could have been interpreted a couple different ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it goes into that lack of self-esteem that he has to he has to prove it. It's like, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. This is it's not good. Trust yeah. me. Trust me on this. It's just, I hate it. It's awful. Yeah, let me make sure that you're not going to accidentally think that I'm good. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so she's trying to help him come up with a name, and she tries to think of an abstract aesthetic to go with. Uh, to, to go with. He likes the idea of a particular video game theme, but the name that he likes is already taken. Uh, this prompts a conversation about whether that should matter or not. 
Yeah, and what do you what do you think? Because I think we've talked about this a lot. We've uh, costumes, names. I they are your identity. They are who you declare yourself to be, or who or the mask that who you're pretending to be. So they they do matter. Like they ownership of these things should matter. I guess I in my I, I mean I kind of feel like there's like hundreds or thousands of parahumans, right? So like if if you know that there's a cape with a name that you want, you know, four states away, I wouldn't worry too much about using that name because especially if they're not a, a, a high tier cape, you don't really have to worry that you're going to cross paths with them or that it's going to be. I, I see her argument that like you don't want to be confused for someone else, but um, I really think people could probably keep it straight if people reuse cape names. Um, yeah, but I think I think other capes take them very seriously. Like she specifically says that there's people that will come fight you. Yeah. To, to earn back their name because this is their identity. Yeah. 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 I, I, I can, I can see why the norm has become what it has become, but I also see it as a very ward thing to say, like, look, the social structures have broken down completely. All the rules are, are gone. You know, the, 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 yeah. the, the, the rules have changed as the tagline says. Um, and, <laughs> and I think it would actually be kind of neat to see someone just steal, steal a name and have people maybe be like, hey, you can't do that. And then them should be like, I, I did it. This is my name now. I, want, I wonder how Victoria would react to someone calling herself Glory Girl. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. She's abandoned the name. So, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So, Ashley now returns. And she has, she tells everyone she's pleased that her appearance made a baby cry. <laughs> She says, uh, <laughs> you mean the best line yeah, in the book so it, far? It was fine. I read a book. A baby cried after looking at me, and I was amused. <laughs> I love the way she talks sometimes. I really do. Um, this this line makes me so anxious to get in her head, though, right? Like, we've seen this is another example of how people are just terrified when she's around. And is this a mask? Is this her pretending that this stuff doesn't actually bother her? Or or is this all real? Does she actually legitimately enjoy this existence? And I don't I don't know. Yeah, I bet there's part of her that enjoys it and part of her that doesn't. That, yeah, I think I you're know. right. Uh, so so when Ashley comes in, Kinsey pulls a piece of a phased out Tinker Tech out of <laughs> Ashley's eyeball. Um, it's mostly not there, meaning it's partially there. <laughs> Yeah, and Ashley's totally cool with it because she's got she's got an eye guy. Yeah. She's got a get an eye guy in the back. And and Matt Victoria basically says it's bone saw. Yeah. And I think it is interesting that she's still calling her bone saw, right? Like this this she I don't think she she's Riley now. That's who she is. And it seems like Victoria's not quite so ready to believe in second chances for our little our little mini monster. Yeah, no, I I think that's I think that's accurate. Um she, uh, also, you know, just just due to the, the Slaughterhouse Nine connection, I don't think she's willing to extend a whole lot of leeway to Bonesaw personally. Nope. So Victoria now puts forth her idea to call up Kenzie's old teammates and come to some kind of arrangement with them, uh, have them put pressure on Hollow Point in a way that doesn't point back at the Misfit Toys. Yeah. So I had a hard time tracking the complexities of this plan at first so i'm gonna explain it the way i understand it and see if that lines up with your explanation so the idea is is for vicky trying to remove tattletale from the equation by scaring hollow point enough that they have to 
or feel like they need to go to Tattletale for help, thus using up their limited number of questions or damaging the relationship between those two parties because Tattletale just gets annoyed to the point where she's not going to help them when they when they actually need it, when they actually go forward with their their long term plan. Yeah, I believe that's accurate. I think it's it's pr- probably more the 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 former of um, she just wants them to to waste their favors, um, which mm-hmm. when you put it that way sounds like a pretty risky plan because what she doesn't realize is that Tattletale is moderately likely to be like, oh, this is um, a feint designed to waste your questions, like yeah. I that there there's my answer because i know that because i'm tattletale yeah um, <laughs> so yeah we'll see we'll see see if it works i mean it definitely mm-hmm. is a weakness that victoria does not understand tattletale's power at all for sure yeah so yeah they, they go ahead and uh kinsey rips off the band-aid and calls houndstooth uh and i just love this touch where uh shh, kinsey's shush people i'm on the phone there was a pause hi houndstooth she said pause I found it online. Um, so you just know that he awkwardly said, how did you get this number? Uh, just super <laughs> right. uncomfortably. Right. And her, like this whole conversation is really, really great. And I think Wildbo's writing here really sets up that uncomfort to achieve the maximum level. Like we learn in a little bit that this phone is capable of speakerphone but we don't start off that way we start off with kenzie and we only hear kenzie's side of the argument which serves to isolate her in this conversation she's alone here it's everyone listening in on her and then the emphasis on the pauses like throughout this whole thing there's a direct pause after she talks and we highlight the pause every single time to emphasize this awkwardness between the thing she's saying because the next thing she says is well i mean it technically is on the internet it's just it's just not that that hard to get to like she basically hacked it like right. there's no way she should have his phone yeah. number and I, I think it's really great stuff yeah the writing really emphasizes how awkward yeah, that is probably one of my creepy stalker ai bots found it it's it's uh it was available okay yeah yeah right. yeah um and i love i love as they start talking to houndstooth um more directly on the speakerphone like houndstooth says you're lucky when they mention they have kenzie and kenzie sits up straight and then he says no but i don't want to use her and then she slouches like she's like he wants me he needs me uh no no yeah yeah i mean this isn't news to us but it just hammers home how kenzie's ego is so dependent on people admiring her and, and appreciating her and and wanting to be around her basically yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So then the team cagely explains what they're asking for to Houndstooth, <laughs> very cagely to the point where they don't give him much information. Uh, Houndstooth won't right. fully agree to do anything without a meeting, at which it's implied that he would prefer Kenzie not be present. Yeah. He specifically says, okay, Glory Girl, Capricorn, and whoever else is in a leadership position, please come. Um, he doesn't say, don't bring Kenzie, but he also doesn't say, everyone come right. yeah i think that's yeah i think uh he, i think he's trying to have as little to do with kenzie as possible and probably has some grave misgivings about this whole thing right and 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 kenzie feels like he's going to reveal some embarrassing things about her and i honestly think that that is part of what houndstooth is planning that like he wants to be like 
okay, you're doing this thing. We might help you out, but I just want to make sure you understand what you're getting into with this girl. And I think Kenzie's got him clocked pretty right there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she, somebody's going to tell Victoria what's going on. Somebody's got to tell her soon because, yeah. And I'm wondering if she, if like, that's the big thing is Victoria, is Victoria in too deep now? Where if she learns the truth about these people, like, is she too committed now? Is she has, has too much wrapped up into this thing where she's going to, behave like the rest of them and and switch to guard mode and guard them from that outside perspective or is she going to listen to it yeah right yeah that's a good point we don't know how since we haven't seen into her head a whole lot this arc i'm a little bit less sure about how far along that continuum she is yeah so yeah like we were saying kinsey's really anxious at the idea of them meeting houndstooth and finding out about whatever embarrassing thing it was that she did involving her old team and uh, Sveta kind of stands up for her and says, we know your history. We know you've made great strides. I can't speak for the others, but to me, you're about, you're about those strides and those successes. You're not defined by your worst days. And Sveta is just endlessly optimistic. Yeah. Endlessly. To the point, it almost gets to a point where you start to worry about, is, is that a detriment, right? Like, it's like, yeah. op- like optimism is great. But relentless optimism, even in the face of of contrary information, is maybe not as healthy as it as it seems. Well, Sveta has to believe that things can get better, and right. she ha- and using this philosophy, she's been a great kind of example of how through the power of positive thinking and and believing and hoping and just striving, you can get all these wonderful things that you want. Um, so it's kind of antithetical to her to accept that someone may be stuck in a way that is harder to see. And, you know, the, the tools that Sveta, you know, Sveta's, one thing that occurs to me is that Sveta's problems are are largely physical. Like, yeah, I mean, she she's a K-53, she had her memories erased, but, like, she doesn't seem to have, like, real personality problems she just has a body that doesn't listen to her and tries to kill people and even yeah, that she's yeah. made progress on whereas kinsey just looks like a normal person she doesn't have physical issues that we're aware of her her issues whatever they are seem like they're entirely mental and that's mm-hmm. not something that sveta actually has a lot of um firsthand experience with i don't think yep yeah i think you're absolutely right um she she I think you're going to say a little bit later that she steps into the referee mm-hmm. mode anytime and, and tries to be encouraging to everyone and, and make sure everyone's happy. But some of the stuff she's just not equipped to to understand as well. Right. Yeah. So at this point, while they're having this discussion, Victoria notes that the current schedule that the that the various team members are planning on being in the clubhouse um, would have Ashley spending too much time alone <laughs> with the tweens. And she and Sveta share a telepathic look where they agree to check on the uh, the other <laughs> the, the kids frequently. Yeah, like this group is so fucking stable that we can't even leave people alone with each other without worrying about yeah. it. Great, right. great. Um, and fittingly, this conversation is then jarringly interrupted by Kenzie completely freaking out about Chris possibly almost touching her bag. Yeah, yeah, like clearly not and it 
it's it's very obvious she's lashing out because she's uncomfortable about the whole houndstooth thing. So she's just upset, uncomfortable in a weird place, and she just lashes out at the first person she sees. And and this is interesting because we see in the scene something happens to Kenzie that, that triggers her past trauma. It, it it brings her back to this embarrassment that we're going to learn about here in a second. And she deals with that by going to do some tinker work. So she doesn't process her emotion. She just shoves him to the side and focuses on something else. And we see Victoria think in one of the rare moments in this chapter where we get to see her internal monologue say, hey, that might not be a bad idea. That might not be a bad idea to you're, you're going through the stuff. Go do something else for a little while. But seconds, seconds later, she absolutely blows up at Chris for basically no reason. And as if as if to say, setting aside your trauma and, and your anxiety and your problems to focus on something else to distract yourself isn't good for you. But isn't that what Victoria's kind of doing right now? Like she's stopped dealing with her own issues and is just focusing on other people's. Yeah. And is not even acknowledging her issues exist anymore. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Um, I don't... And I mean, it makes sense. Like, it makes logical sense. That's, like, kind of how you survive. But ultimately, is she going to blow up when someone touches her bag? (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. I I, I think there there may be even something at the end of the third chapter that could constitute a uh, bag-touching moment, but we don't see the result of it. But yeah, um, um... I think there's no reason to assume that Kenzie would have good coping mechanisms. So um, pretty much whatever she's doing, I wouldn't be inclined to say, oh, yeah, just, yeah, go uh, ignore your problems. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, Victoria then kind of calls her aside for a little chat. Uh, We don't really learn much here about the particulars of Kenzie's history, but she does convey that her trauma is, is something to do with something that embarrassed her and and shamed her in a way that she still has not gotten over at all. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking shards. Mm -hmm. Right, Matt. I mean, like, so she, she witnessed something or she was experienced something that was so embarrassing to her that as, as she says, an, an enter interdimensional alien reached out and touched her because of it. And, now her shard gives her the ability and the extreme desire to record and replay everything yeah. to collect store and re- relive information and data over and over again. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks shard. Yep. Thanks buddy. Yeah. It's uh, I also just, just like it objectively, this idea of um, a character whose trauma is, something that they relate to in terms of embarrassment because it's very, it's just very realistic. Like I think everyone has probably some memories that are just burned, scarred into their brain of things that were embarrassing that happened to them when they were, you know, 11 to, to 14, which if you were to tell someone objectively what happened, they would just be like, yeah, that sounds like a fairly normal story of teenage awkwardness. But to you, you know, no matter how old you are, probably it's still like you still cringe when you think about it because it's it's your memory and it's your trauma, really, yeah. in a sense. Yeah, um, absolutely. So it's easy it's easy for me to relate to anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So Victoria tries to give her a pep talk, but it doesn't really look like her words are doing any good at all. And this kind of wraps up with Kinsey refusing Victoria's offered hug and refusing it rather curtly at that. 
Yeah, which is not an insignificant thing because we've talked about Victoria's issues with touch. So the fact that Victoria is extending physical contact here is important and it's rebuffed. And that too is important. Yeah. And the fact that Victoria doesn't give us any inner monologue clue about how she feels about it is also important right. because, you know, you yeah. can imagine her thinking like, because Victoria is very even keeled in, in this regard where she, you, you can imagine her just being like, okay, you know, well, she didn't want to be touched right now. That's fine. I have no problem with that. But you can also imagine her being a little bit stung by it, but we don't get either of those, of those cues. We don't know how she takes right. this. Right. Uh, yeah. So then they go back inside and they find that snag, and the cape, whose name we find out is Love Lost, are now walking together into Hollow Point. What are they going to do? I guess we'll find out soon. Yeah, like now. Now. So <laughs> chapter 4.3 opens, and the toys uh, debate how to react to the emergence of Rain's nemeses. Elements of the team are very reluctant to make an overt move because it would blow the whole plan. Chris continues to be the instigator, pointing out that Rain has never explained why exactly his cluster is after him. Um, but I do like how philosophical he gets. He's not just asking for the sake of needling Rain. He's trying to get a sense of what these guys' emotional state is so he can understand his opponents. Uh, like I said, Chris isn't dumb. Yeah, not at all. He he comes off as this kind of smart-alecky, immature asshole kid, but he did kind of win me over in this moment. I, I, I agreed with him here that Rain... I understand why he's so cagey and like hiding all this stuff, but he needs to start dishing dirt on this stuff. This, this, this conflict, this threat is becoming more immediate by the second and he, he can't keep hiding all this. Yeah. Stuff. It's, it's helping no one for him to keep it hidden. Yeah. You know, it, it just occurred to me that it makes a lot of sense that Chris would be the one to say like, Hey, I, we need to understand these guys emotional state in order to fight them because he must spend a lot of time thinking about the fact that your emotional state dictates how you fight due to the way his power works. Yeah. Oh, man, that's a great pull. I completely agree. Yeah, that's I didn't, great. didn't catch that until just now. So, yeah, they decide on a plan pretty quickly. Kinsey will pledge together something out of existing equipment. Um, it's, it's, yet again, she's pretty clutch. It's telling how the different team members react in this pseudo-crisis. Uh, like you said, Sveta is the self-appointed referee. Victoria is just here to help do whatever needs to be done. Chris pushes people, but not necessarily just for the sake of it. Rain just kind of implodes, and Tristan tries to play a delicate balancing act of not offending anyone despite the interpersonal conflicts. Yeah, you just uh, succinctly pointed out each and every one of their personality traits, Matt. Good job. Yeah, well, I'm, this is this is good. This is a good scene because this is one of the first. I think this is the first time that they've really been put on the spot. You know, right. Um, every other every other uh, conflict or, or however you want to phrase it was either like play on some level or or was deliberated, you know, but this is just like, OK, curveball. How are we going to react? And they don't react great. They also don't completely fall apart. It, it, it shows us a lot about their characters. Yeah. I so agree. Rain mentioned something about potential personality bleeds between the individuals in the cluster he says he feels like a very different person, maybe a better one than he used to be, and it seems like Snag is a worse one. And, and he says, maybe the agent took half of my anger from back then and divided it among them, aiming it back at me, uh, which is interesting and shows you something about how he feels about himself and how he used to be. Uh, but there's still no yeah. real answers on what happened, though. Yeah, it is kind of incredible, though, how I think my image of this guy has shifted in just three chapters. Mm -hmm. After last week, I saw him as this sneaky, dishonest jerk 
and he's still definitely hiding things. He's he's hiding big things. And I think we're going to learn a lot more about what these bad guys are willing to do to get him in this chapter. Like the, the, the lengths at which they're willing to go to get this guy are pretty extreme. So he did something real bad. Like there's no doubt that he did something real bad, but, but it, it, it's his, his secrecy seems to come from a much less malevolent place than I originally attributed it to. And, and, instead be like much more like a kind of self-defeated place i also think he's just like petrified yeah and he thinks he sucks he thinks his power sucks he thinks he used to be this really shitty person and the only reason he's not a shitty person anymore is because of this cluster personality bleed thing that that um that took his shitty personality and attributed it to other people and I think we, it's funny, this this matches up to what we've seen with, with this Aaron girl before. Like, he can't or won't ever make a move on this person because he doesn't think he is worthy of them. And yes, Rain probably did something pretty awful. But I no longer think that he himself is awful. Yeah, I, I think you're right, probably, yeah. Yeah. And th- there's one... There's one line here that I find really interesting where he's he's talking about why why they hate him so much and he says I fucked up. I had a chance to save them and I didn't. And who's them here? Because like in the context of all the paragraphs we've been going through, it would seem like Rain is talking about the rest of his cluster group because he said them in the paragraphs preceding preceding this and been specifically talking about them. But is he though? Like, like, I, I, there could be other people he's talking about here that we just don't know about. Yeah, and I think that's interesting that that this could be a very ambiguous phrase. The fact that Love Lost's name is Love Lost suggests to me that someone was killed. That yeah, and and maybe not just. I mean, it seems like a lot of people may have died in whatever happened, mm-hmm. and these may indeed be the only survivors of whatever happened. So. The, yeah, the, yeah. We we don't really know enough to know what it could have been, but it seems like it was pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So Victoria makes sorry. Uh, Victoria takes Kinsey's little little uh, sound camera, and she's instructed to press it against the building where the where the um where um the capes have gone into, and then to press a plunger on it very very slowly. And if she does it wrong, it will break. Uh, two weeks of Kenzie's work, so it's very stressful. So yes. as Victoria makes her way toward the building to place the surveillance device, she listens in through her earbud, inwardly regretting the drain on her data plan. First world problems. Wait, <laughs> second, third world, infinite world problems. Yeah, what's what's second in in Hebrew? Um, <laughs> so the time manipulators who they've heard so much about meet with Snag and Love Lost. Uh, Love Lost doesn't talk. She, she's mute. Um, have to mm-hmm. wonder if that has to do with the trigger event or not. The time capes Seems like it. Um, and snag trade looks at one another's gear. We learn a bit about each of the of, of what each of them can do. Secondhand is basically a speedster in application. It reminds me a lot of velocity, except cranked up to the utmost extent. Final hour has a targeted slow. End of days interferes with machinery and with powers and last minute moves objects backwards in time yeah and they're like 
like all or maybe one of them is a tinker as well so their powers are all greatly improved by tinker gear um these guys like victoria dismisses them as b-list pretty offhandedly but like these guys seem like together they'd be pretty pretty powerful yeah i'm just just a couple of these I, i i i agree yeah um Sorry, the sound. Um, yeah, so so the the time capes ask uh, who Snag and Love Lost are with. Uh, they, they kind of go. They kind of run down who the who the kingpins are. They say uh, Beast of Burden is in charge of the of the hostiles, the violent ones. Bitter Pill is in charge of the brains, and Prancer's Click is is the diplomats. And I, I get the sense we're learning a little bit of background about how this area works, and we're going to hear these names again at some point. Yeah, yeah, and these these clicks as they're described are interesting. Um Secondhand specifically makes an effort to show that these aren't separate groups operating within the same place. This is not like how villain groups were run in cities before where they would have partnerships or, or tenuous non-violence deals between each other but they would ultimately break up and there would be fighting between the two the groups. This these are all part of one collective they just segment into these cliques where their powers match and can be the most useful and that's that's unique i think yeah it's not like anything we've really seen i think yeah so snag says they're on their own pursuing their own mission uh they're not in any of these cliques uh, and their mission is to kill rain uh, even if it means going through the eight or nine teenagers with powers that he's with uh so these guys are serious these guys are going to be a problem yeah, and they know what Rain is doing. I guess, I guess through his dreams, right? I, I would assume that they're gathering information on, on him through these dreams, or maybe it's something else. Yeah, I think they probably. Uh, that's, that's one thing that I was thinking about. Is like, I hope has Rain been seeing these guys unmasked? I mean, almost certainly yes. Which yes. means, which means that his cluster mates have been seeing them unmasked, probably. Uh, so that's yeah. not cool. Yeah. It's interesting that he he specifies eight to nine people here, right? I because I counted it out. We got we got Rain, we got Chris, we got Sveta, we got Kenzie, we got Ashley, Victoria, Tristan, and if you count Byron as one of them as well, that's eight. So I wonder where this number is coming from. Yeah, um, the only thing that I thought of was that he could think that Aaron is is a cape just because she's someone that he hangs out with. Um, that could there be, could yeah. also be obviously people we haven't seen yet. Uh, and and maybe she maybe is, she is Matt. that that also occurred to me but uh that would be that would be interesting i'd like that yeah um so they make a deal to share uh cradles tech as well apparently he's uh or he or she is the other member of the cluster who's with them and yeah i believe it's a he yeah i think you're right I believe. and the time capes will help them with their rain problem yeah so they've they're giving them tech, a lot of tech. They're giving them $15,000 and more possibly to help them with their problem. And we learn that they already have our our team Misfit Toys outnumbered three to one. And this is presumably before they recruited these time capes or maybe including them. Either way, there's like 30 yeah. of them. And 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 like we've been talking about all, all episode long, the text is so absorbed in this conversation that we don't see any narration from Victoria on how she reacts to this at all. 
Like she's separated from everyone else. So I understand why we don't like hear anyone else say anything, but we don't even hear her internal monologue on her processing this. And this is big news. 30 capes against them. And they're just starting out. This is a huge deal. And we don't see how she reacts to this. We don't see it. And that's, it feels like, so different from everything we've seen in Wild Bill's writing before that I have to assume that that is an intentional decision made that that Victoria is intentionally not being introspective right now. Yeah, I think so. I mean, this is terrifying. This is terrifying news. It doesn't matter if you're if you're a cape. Like it's it's very rare actually that you have people who are out for blood in in a concerted small army trying right. to to wipe someone out uh, that that you're trying to protect. Um, yeah, so next, uh, after this conversation, they, they come to their agreement with these time capes. Now Love Lost and Snag go into the pub, and Victoria flies to the rooftop to deploy the listening device. And uh, at, at, at this point, um, she's using radio silence, so she can't really check in with the team. So she, she yeah. flies evasively to avoid brain dead and bird brain, two capes from uh, with different forms of clairvoyance that make it very difficult to sneak into an area, um, yeah. that, which is kind of a, a cool touch. Yeah, these guys. I think we'll talk about them in the name game a little bit. But these guys, I don't. I don't know why they think they could. These. I don't know why Team Misfit Toys can think they're going to be successful here because the deck is stacked. Yeah, yeah. They've got. They've got. They've just got so many powers. To, to, mm-hmm. the, the, between between these two clairvoyants and the time capes, it just seems like a pretty tight security. So yeah, she reaches the rooftop and gets the device in place, acting like it's just a stakeout. Below her, across the street, Moose shows up, uh, who who we love. Uh, Moose tells her yes. fairly politely to get lost. He tells her that if if they fight, he expects to lose, but he'll fight anyway. Then others will show up and she'll have to fight them and probably not win. So he tells her that she can try to knock him down and leave if she wants. And very interestingly, very interestingly, I think, she's mm-hmm. like, okay. And then she just goes for it. She attacks him. Um, she strikes at him and, and he repels her with a shockwave punch. She makes another pass at him, this time trying to unbalance him. And while she's doing this, kind of giving herself a pat on the back for doing a warrior monk approach... The wretch independently makes its own attack and like slashes at his face with super powered fingernails and and, and, uh. and injures him. And she's she's uh-huh. like embarrassed and, and is like, Are you okay? And then she basically just flees. Yeah. And I think Moose just touched her bag, uh, Yeah. I think Moose touched or or it's compl- it's so complicated because she she doesn't make anything of this. She's not like like you'd think this would be crushing to find that her she her she's trying to be the warrior monk. She's even she even thinks she's doing well at it. And and the wretch is like trying to kill people who are close to yeah. her because it's like, oh I'm here I'm I'm helping. This is what shards do. I'm helping. <laughs> I'm gonna I'll, I'll, yeah. can I take his head off for you? It's uh Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right that, that she doesn't like you contrast this with the first chapter or the first arc rather, and how each and everything she did, each and everything she was forced to do with the wretch, like made her, brought her into this place where she felt like she was drowning. She was drowning. She was treading water and being pushed under. And like everything was like overpowering her. And I think it's, you can say that, oh, maybe she's just doing better now. But 
I, I don't I just don't think that's it. I think she's just actively like not like refusing to look at it anymore. And she's got this thing to focus on. And this thing is so important to her that it's kind of distracting every bit of that problem. And it's going to blow up. It's going to blow up when her wretch reaches out and slashes at people. Like, when is this going to happen? How long is it going to take before this happens to someone on her side accidentally? Yeah, It's the problem with moving forward. Cause that's what she's doing. I think in this arc, she's right. moving forward. She's, she's not stopping long enough for these things to catch up with her and affect her. And they're going to. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. And yeah, it's very worrying, especially, especially given how dangerous this, this game they're playing yeah. is. And speaking of which we wrap up this chapter more or less. And, and this, this section of three chapters with snag saying, we want him to face a fate worse than death, but we can't have that and have him dead at the same time. And we need him dead. If he suffers as much as possible along the way of that conclusion, we'll be satisfied. So, uh, yeah, these guys are so again, assholes. yeah, but again, to reinforce, like, where where does this level of hatred come from? It's like, if you could torture him for as long as possible, that's great. We need him dead, though. Where is this coming from? Like, they are going above and beyond. They said they've been plotting this for a year. They've re- recruited 30 capes. They've spent all this money. They're they're selling out their tech to other people. What what is going on? Yeah. yeah one one thing that I've seen thrown around in the Reddit is this idea that it's like, you know, Jet Li's the one where, you know, they want to kill him so that his power goes back to them. But I don't think that's I don't like that's not why they hate him. That might yeah, be pragmatically yeah. why you would want to kill someone, but these right. these guys like they. I mean, he says it right there. If they're like, we do need him dead, but distinct from that, we want to torture him. Yeah. So. Yeah. So even yeah, even if that is correct, and I think that's a great theory. I like that a lot because we've already shown that the fifth one enhances someone else's powers those day. Yeah. So if there's only if there's only three remaining, are there going to be two days of someone gets enhanced power? Right probably yeah i think that seems like how i would do it if i were yeah. a shard trying to generate the most uh conflict <laughs> but yeah you're right that it, it goes beyond that practical use yeah there yeah they they hate him right well yeah that wraps up uh this unit of three chapters <laughs> yeah <laughs> we were just very uh excited to see you know i, I bet the la- i bet the next chapter has dropped while, while we were talking um i think i think you're right so so I'm excited to wrap this up and then go read that. Um, so, but a little bit of name game first. I, I did want to talk about the the time cape, secondhand, Minuteman, final hour, end of days. What's funny to me about these is that they've really gone whole hog on the theme to the extent that their names don't really match up that well with their powers. Like, like one of them makes things move backward in time. If you were to guess, like, okay, which one of those is the one that makes makes things go back in time? be hard to to pick out based on that list of names um they just yeah. i mean i i'm not complaining at all it's just interesting that they you know a unit of four capes who've kind of clearly taken on like a theme um reminds yeah. me of uber and elite yeah and you're absolutely right because i i also like that um snag kind of calls them out on how minuteman's or is it secondhand that doesn't fit i don't remember which one he says the doesn't hit. yeah yeah it's like yours doesn't fit 
And he goes, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> right. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. I also like brain dead and bird brain being kind of both both being both having brain in them, but you you get the sense that could be more of a coincidence based on yeah. yeah. And and you do kind of it's very easy to remember which is which based on um based on the powers like bird brain. Okay, it's that's the one that can that that has a top down view because it's a bird's eye view, mm-hmm. and brain dead is the one who is catatonic. Um, yeah. So yeah, and then of course the final name to talk about that I wanted to talk about at least was love lost uh because again we have loss like like lord of loss we have this theme of loss this person has probably lost someone they've probably right. lost the ability to speak there's there's just there's just loss here well and i love that the, the chapter points that out right because they say love lost and the response is don't you mean no love lost and of course they're greeted with silence because she doesn't talk but the the implicit answer in that is no I specifically mean love lost. Right. It's like, yes, love was lost. Well, it's also, it's a, it's a little bit funny because that's the four capes whose names are all basically a joke asking her. And they're like, <laughs> don't you mean no love lost? Because it's a joke. And, and like her cold stare answers their question. It's yep. not a joke. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. All right. So this is another new feature. The idea of having a, a discrete, uh, concrete discussion question at the end of, of the, of the show. Um, and and you came up with this one. You said, uh, what do you think of Hollow Point as we've seen it so far? Does this represent a unique new kind of cape organization or just more of the same? And I like that. We did talk about that a little bit, but I really would like to hear what people think about that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, feel free to talk about anything and everything we talk about in the episode, but we are going to, in the discussion question section, circle back around to them and talk about your responses specifically to that as well. So share what you think. What do you think? What do you guys think of Hollow Point? What do you guys, do you, do you think that this mission is of the utmost importance? Is this a place that really needs to be taken back from the villains? Or is this just people looking for purpose and this is, this is the place that they found because no one else was doing it? Right, yeah. And uh, that's all we got for you this week. Uh, Remember that you guys are all part of this show now, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. Yeah, you can reach out to us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85, and Matt's is at mordinamail. Yeah, and if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. Yeah, and as always, you can find this, all the other podcasts we do, and all of our writing, essays, film, and TV criticism, and more at dailyplanetfilms.com. This week, over on the main feed, Matt and I discuss Laser Team. My wife and I talked about some of our favorite childhood movies, and we say goodbye to one of our first shows phantom zone as we transition to new and hopefully better things so check out that that's right scott and if you like any of these shows and want to support them consider donating to our patreon account patreon.com slash daily planet films consider donating a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford Uh, special thanks to new planeteers fiden eris steven lyrically and john all at the one dollar level Peter at the 250 level and Sick Martian at the $4 level and new Kryptonian Ellen at the $20 level. Thank you so much guys. This is this is really great. Yeah, we're I think a mere $6 away from our next goal 
and our next new show. Yeah. Which we're still working on um, figuring out what that show is going to be and how it fits within our our new always be positive brand. Um, <laughs> but we'll we'll figure it yeah. out. Well, you've been looking forward to that for a while. So I have. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So and as always, make sure you go over to Wild Bo's Patreon page and donate to him as well. This is his world. We're just playing in it. Yeah, and, and if you can't afford to donate right now, that's absolutely okay. You can instead walk brazenly into a bad guy infested part of the city and stare at nail polish until someone asks you what you want. And then you just tell them to listen to We've Got Ward or else. Please, please don't actually do that. That you, you, will, you will die and I will feel partially responsible. Don't do that. Just instead head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review if you will. Be like Wednesday Clock Block. <laughs> <laughs> who gives us five stars and says screws up my productivity every Wednesday morning because I can't wait to listen. Uh, sorry, but also awesome. Yeah. We appreciate that. Yeah. Success, Scott. We've done it. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. All right. That's it for the show this week. Next week, we will continue to dive into arc four of worm with the next two or three chapters. Mm-hmm.